This is Rose. And this is Mary. And this is Let's Be Honest Bite Size. This is a slice of our Africa bite size. It's a little bit about our history and a little bit about our take on its impact on our lives today. Summed up with African proverbs to give it all meaning. I was seated in class at this international prep school and we were doing a series on world history. So I was seated waiting to hear this world history and to hear history about my people, my continent. And zilch, nothing. Yeah. So I put up my hand and I asked the teacher, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Africa? And he mumbles something about prehistoric history. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We have history. Now, of course, I couldn't rebuttal. I couldn't give an example because technically at that age, I really hadn't studied African history. Yeah. How old were you again? Um, Eight or nine. I'm not right. too sure. But I knew we have history. I mean, no society doesn't have history. Which society doesn't have history? Right. And this is when you realize that history is written by they who conquered. Mm. And it is so important for us to go back and revise what was written and understand who we are. Yeah. So growing up, yes, we were taught a lot about resistance in Africa. But do we know all the details? No, not really, no. Resistance to colonial rule. And we know very well that in the 18, towards the end of the 1800s, Africa now is this scene for absolute horrific destruction of communities, splicing and dicing communities, putting them into different countries that were now going to be governed by European imperial powers. Right. Between 1880 and 1935, this is all taking place. Mm -hmm. But bet before 1880, you have Africans who don't really understand what's going to happen, save for, you know, coastal areas where Europeans like the Portuguese or the British had been taking slaves out of Africa. Right. So we come to Kenya and we find that between um, 1889 and 1905, the Nandi resistance took place. Whoa. The longest resistance in Kenya. Yeah. So who are the Nandi? And what made them resist for so long? So by the late 1600s, they had already settled in the area that we find them in today. And this is the highlands west of Wasingishu. Gorgeous place. Oh, absolutely beautiful. The Nandi Hills are beautiful. And so by the end of the 1800s, they had evolved into a singular polity. They were nation building. And part of the nation building process was creating a military society. Mm -hmm. Now think Roman regiments, because yeah. that's how organized they were. Think Sparta think that a community of Africans had a standing army. Scholars believe that at this time there were about 40,000 only, and of those 40,000, 6,000 were warriors, were soldiers. 6,000 soldiers held back the British Imperial Army. That's amazing. I mean, picture that. So what they did is their territory was divided into six regions. 
And these six regions now had subdivisions. And these subdivisions were known as pororiet. And then these pororiet are the ones that served as military regiments. So if there was any danger, they could call upon the pororiet to go and fight a war. Oh, that's amazing. I know, right? And then even then, the fundamental polity in their society, that smallest unit, was known as a koret, which you can translate as a parish, which had mm. 20 to 200 homesteads. And they had a council for each of these korets. And the council was called Kokwek, run by Poyot. I mean, I'm just looking at this. I'm like, Sparta? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> Rome? This was a legit kingdom of exactly. its own. Exactly. Now, imagine if they had been given the chance to expand. And they were expanding because, first and foremost, they were in the highland areas. Right. It's cooler temperature. There's no malaria. And then also the land is very fertile. So they can actually, you know, have food in their belly. Yeah. And they can continue increasing. And they were known for their night military activities. Yes, mm. your Luo. And mm. we did Luanda Magari the yeah. other day. So you understand that they were known and they became known as the Nandi legend. Yeah. The communities surrounding them did not want to mess with them because they were swift, they were organized, they were well-structured and you wouldn't even know what hit you. Yeah. So even by the time the Arab caravans were coming through, they tried to avoid Nandi areas. Mm -hmm. And the Nandis knew, you know, they're not going to touch us. Yes, there were skirmishes between the Arab uh, caravans and the Nandi people. But it wasn't that kind of skirmish where you're expecting the Nandis to be overwhelmed by the caravans because they were carrying guns. Right. But it was a situation where the Arab caravans basically avoided contact with the Nandi because of their fierce military prowess. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of environment that the Imperial British East Africa Company decides in 1891 that they're going to build a railway line all the way from the coast to Uganda. Yeah. And so it was for trade purposes and, you know, to connect, easy connection from Mombasa to Uganda and also to bring in European settlers into where Nandi territory. Big mistake. <laughs> well, sadly, <laughs> it did eventually happen. But the Nandi prophets at the time, prior to this, slightly prior to this, so there was one called Mongo and another one called Kimnyole, and they had prophesied about a pale-skinned people who would come and change the way of the Nandi life. But a lot of the Nandis were like, please, we're flush with chasing away the Arab caravans and all the other communities around us, including the Messiah, are afraid of us. There is no way that these pale-skinned people that you're talking about are going to be able to defy us and overwhelm us. No way. So they had an advantage, of course, because of the terrain. They know their terrain and their night fighting. And then this was very hilly land and very forested land. So even if a European was to come in, they, they could be easily ambushed. And that yeah. is what happened. A lot of European caravans were ambushed along the way. So again, even amongst the Europeans and the Arab caravans coming from the coastal area, everybody knew avoid Nandi territory. Right. Until two very, um, what can we call them? Obnoxious? Well. Belligerent? I would say, you know, the kind of people who remind me of, Afri you know, American cowboys. Ah. Who are like, what? We'll do this. We can handle it. So one of them was known as Peter West and the other one was known as Andrew Dick. Now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, how appropriate. <laughs> 
Peter West was not quite a savoury individual. He was known as a gun runner. And I think that's a very polite way of saying he was a bit dodgy. Yeah. And involved in illegal activities. Right. So he paired up with Andrew Dick, who had a lot of trading stations. From, and I need to be mature about this. But. From the coastal region until the Kisumu area. So he wanted to expand his trading posts into Nandi territory. And also because of the ivory that they could get from there and etc. Even human beings, who knows? Right. So Andrew Dick decides to start an expedition into Nandi territory. And they set up camp for about 20 days, very close to Nandi territory. And they're harassing Nandi warriors at this point because, of course, the warriors are curious and they keep peeping and they, you know, approach the caravan. So a couple of warriors got um, apprehended by these two gentlemen and they got whipped and drowned alive. Yeah. So, of course, this antagonized the Nandi community and they were not amused at all. And so they attacked the camp. Now, the camp was set up on a high escarpment. Remember, I said the land topography yeah. was full of escarpments and valleys. So they were like on a lip. You know, like uh, Lion King where yes. Mufasa <laughs> mm. holds out. No, it's not Mufasa. It's the monkey who yes. holds out. Rafiki. Uh, mm-hmm, he holds out Simba. Yeah. So imagine that kind of an outcrop, but not that tiny, much larger because right. the whole camp is there. They've got about 50 people. They've got uh, about 50 head of cattle, 25 head of goats and sheep. And they've got local communities, surrounding communities who are there as porters, as chefs, that kind of thing. They've got caravans and then they've got the forest on the other side so they're thinking they're well protected if anyone comes to the forest they'll hear them (laughs) (laughs) at around 2 a.m on the morning of july 16th the camp was rushed by nandi warriors And all but eight in the expedition were killed without a single shot fired. West's last words, according to somebody who survived, was, give me my gun. Now, those who survived said that all they heard was thud, thud, thud. And this was coming from the valley, not from the forest. Local community members who were working in that camp ran into the forest because they knew what was coming. So apparently these Nandi warriors were scaling this escarpment. Yes. This cliff. Outcrop, wow. Yes. And the ones who were hanging over, some of them were falling. But that did not deter the others from climbing. Made it over the lip of that outcrop and attacked the camp. Now, of course, this led to... Yes. It led to the Foreign Office in England and the representatives here saying this cannot fly. And so they set up uh, a battalion to attack. Now, there were waves of wars between the British and the Nandi, three main ones. I won't go into the details. But what happened is the fact that 
the reason why it took so long and the reason why there were these three waves is first and foremost, none of the local communities, including the Maasai, wanted to be part and parcel of this attack by the British into Nandi territory. Right. Nobody wanted to be part of it. Because you know what you're dealing with. Exactly. So they had to bring in now reinforcement from Uganda. But even in Uganda, they were dealing with resistance from certain communities in Uganda. And then they wanted to bring in troops from what we now know as DRC in Congo. And again, there they're dealing with the resistance. So there was this constant delay. And then remember, the railway hadn't actually reached that point. The, right. it, the construction is going on, but they're constantly getting attacked. And it's around that time that the famous Orkoyot in Nandi community comes into leadership. So let me tell you who the Orkoyot is. He's a military and spiritual leader. So around the time that the Nandis are now building their nation, they go to the Maasai and they ask the Maasai to give them a spiritual leader who also becomes a military strategist. Again, think Rome, think, think Sparta. And this military strategist from the Maasai community is the one who leads them into these military expeditions and gives them that kind of structure and discipline. I mean, they were known for marching for miles on end without even showing any tiredness and being able to go into battle and vanquishing their enemy. Oh, that's amazing. I know. Intimidating, mm -hmm. but absolutely amazing. So Koitalel Arab Samoy is the last Orkoyot of the Nandi. He comes into play around 1898 and he's a nationalist. He believes strongly in Nandi culture, Nandi, everything Nandi for him was important. And he's not for the idea that they should be infiltrated by these different communities. The Arab caravans had constantly tried to attack their fields, their farms, their women, their children, and he was having nothing of it. So when the British now were coming in, he made sure they fought back and they fought back powerfully, holding off the Imperial British Army and the muskets, the guns, with just spears and arrows. 6,000 men until what I call murder most foul. In 1905, a little bit just before October, the British had a shameful plan to kill the Orkoyot. No. So the British officer in charge wrote in his diary an elaborate and appalling plan. He arranged a meeting with Koitalel at his home. And according to Nandi accounts, this captain offered his hand to Koitalel and pulled him towards him and stabbed him. And this was a signal to the British soldiers to start shooting. Oh, man. Koitalel was murdered. Now... This, of course, led to the demoralization of the Nandi community. And in the process, the Nandi community was forced from their land, forcefully evicted far away from the railway line, also to make room for European settlers who were going to take over that land and set up farms. Again, quote-unquote, the White Highland story all over again. Sadly, Koitalel's head was taken to the UK. What? Mm. And his memorabilia 
Now, th this version is what is found in most academic books. However, over the years, Koitalel Arab Samoy's descendants have started coming out and talking about what really happened. And what we have found out from accounts of, for instance, his grandchildren is that Koitalel Arab Samoy was actually shot by the English captain and made a run for it and ended up falling down near a tree that was quite in its infant stages. And so, in fact, local dailies and local television stations have actually interviewed these descendants of Koitalel and they have taken reporters to where this tree is. And this tree is now a massive tree and it's actually intertwined with another tree. And they say that that is a sign that harmony will exist in the land of Nandi now. And so what is coming out is the oral account of what really happened. Even the fact that Koitalel Arab Samoy's father had foreseen the demise of his son. There's also a large white stone that marks the area in Nandi Hills where apparently Koitalel Arab Samoy had the meeting that turned into that horrible massacre. We spoke about the Kikui and how land was ripped from them. Yes. We have spoken now about the Nandi and yes. the land was ripped from them. Mm -hmm. You do realize land is such a huge problem in those two ethnicities Bingo. to this date. Bingo. And that's where it stems from. Mm -hmm. Most people think it's as recent as 50 years ago. No. But the Nandi resistance started in 1890 mm -hmm. and ran till 1905. Mm -hmm. So... That, no, 1905, mm. 1906. That's yes. 16 years. 11, actually 11, 11 years. About 11 years. They say 16 because of the skirmishes with the Arab right. caravans. Okay. But if officially, it's 11 years 11 up years. until 1906, January. So 11 years mm. ruined an entire culture, mm. tore down an entire nation. Yes. And imagine January 1906 is when they're forcefully, forcefully being removed from their homesteads. So... Imagine the trail of tears that the Native Americans talk about where they're yeah. being pushed to the south. The same thing happened where you have groups of individuals moving towards the north because they're being pushed out of their homeland, out of their farms. Can you imagine the impact, the psychological impact on families? The fact that their economic mainstay has been taken away. Their very pride in who they are yeah. shattered. Africans as a people in general, mm. irrespective of where they come from, mm. have a pride. Yeah. But we don't seem to fully understand. I mean, a lot of people look at African-Americans and mm. just like, okay, fine. I may not fully understand the whole concept mm. of slavery. Mm. But when you look at their pain completely mm. being ripped mm -hmm. away mm -hmm. from what you know, yes. your way of life, your yes. culture, your mm. name mm -hmm. is taken from you. At yeah. least we have names. Yeah. They can't even trace back. And it's a struggle mm. to trace back. And it's mm. most of the time it's very vague. Yes. And then we also have something similar, but we don't seem to realize how deeply entrenched mm. it is. Mm. What was taken from us on mm. this continent mm. for those who stayed? And you see, we tend to just brush over it in history classes in primary school or even in history. It's not even taught. Like the Nandi resistance is not taught it's at not, all. No. My education in this country mm -hmm. in primary school, mm -hmm. the history that I learned mm. started from 1952, yes. the declaration of the emergency yeah. in 1952. I recall asking my teacher, mm -hmm. so what was Were there? we and yeah. what was there before 1952 oh. and preferably before 
1920 when mm. the Brits actually showed up and camped on and mass. stayed here on yeah. mass. And before, you know, in CRE, mm. Christian religious education, you're taught about the, the missionaries. missionaries yes. So before all these white folks mm. showed up in ships to dock and stay and who colonize, were who were we? And the response, which annoys me <laughs> to this date, was don't worry, that won't come in the exam. The Nandi proverb is one can't hold or touch a piece of red meat just like that. So, Rose, what does that mean? First of all, from anyone who understands or comes from a nomadic community, mm. you'll understand the value of meat. Mm. Livestock is their way of life. Mm. It is literally their everything. Mm. So in how they handle and respect meat, it's mm. not just something you consume. It is something that is part and parcel of celebrations in a way of life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So ideally, the translation means that if you participate in doing anything or something particular, you need to share it in its reward, meaning you don't hog it to yourself. Mm -hmm. It is something mm -hmm. to be shared. Mm -hmm. In the case of meat, since most people slaughter their own animals, they need help to skin the animal. Mm. It's an entire process and a ritual and a ceremony in itself. And if a neighbor passes by, they need to help hold the animal while the owner is skinning it. Mm -hmm. And that the neighbor who has held the animal and the meat must be given a piece of it. You do not ask for help or require assistance. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the skinning of the meat slaughter it and eat it yourself ah. your neighbor helped you so in essence it's all about the celebration of the community and how communal things generally are in culture just because you have it mm. doesn't mean that it's only yours you should share it that's my interpretation oh, that's of it beautiful and it brings to me the fact that most kenyan runners will put us on the map as great marathon runners and long distance runners. Shout out to Elid Kipchoge. Come from the Nandi community and affiliated communities. And as Kenyans, we have stood proud and cheered them on. Yeah. And yes, I see that community coming together because we're there with our flags mm -hmm. raised high as they run and give us those medals on the international stage. And I'm fascinated and very proud of the Nandi community and affiliated communities. Yeah. And my people. Kenyans. Shout out to Kenyans. We love y'all. This episode of Let's Be Honest Bite Size was recorded at Big City Studios in Nairobi. To listen to episodes of Let's Be Honest with Rose and Mary and Let's Be Honest Bite Size, you can subscribe to Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Radio Public, Anchor FM, or your favorite podcast platform of choice. To stay in touch with us, follow us on at Let's Be Honest KE on Instagram or email us on ask at letsbehonest.co.ke. 